Hey guys, you like science? You like learning? We can't cover everything on this podcast, certainly not as in-depth as I'd like to all of the time. Well, here's an important topic you need to know about. Water. Do you have it? Are you drinking it? Where is it coming from? All sorts of important questions you need to know. There is now the new Waterline podcast, which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech, a part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. Waterline podcast aims to bring the latest scientific advances in technological solutions while exploring economic models and identifying key players in the global effort to secure water sources, create efficient water usage, and make water safe for everyone. I just checked out a really cool, interesting episode called Want Not, Waste Not, Wastewater. It's all about what happens to your wastewater. It's going to waste a lot of times, but does it need to? Absolutely not. What happens to all that discarded wastewater? Once treated, it has uh, economic and ecological value that can even drive nation's economies. It could even light up your house. How? Find out on that episode of the Waterline Podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Welcome to the return of Michael Garfield audience favorite one of my favorite people fascinating guy we're talking about the future the future speaking of the future don't forget may 5th through 13th you can go to jamaica with me to do a legal psilocybin mushroom retreat where we will potentially go beyond all space and time together as one vehicle in many different vehicles what we're going to explore some paradoxes and have some fun. I'm also going to do some comedy, some comedy shows, and uh, gobble those mushrooms. So if that sounds like a good time to you, and it should, um, you can check it out at mycomeditations.com, M-Y-C-O meditations.com, May 5th through the 13th in Jamaica. Um, maybe you want to do psilocybin mushrooms, but you don't feel like doing them with me. Um, weird, but, uh, okay. There's plenty of other retreats that you can get into. There's a women's retreat coming up in March. There's all sorts of other fun things on the way. So check out mycomeditations.com for more. And, um, 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 anything else laughable, check out your laughable app. Make sure and subscribe to me on your laughable app. It is the one true way, the best way to catch everything that I'm doing out on the podcast, internets, worlds, and I think that's everything, everything, yeah, check me out on patreon.com slash Shane Moss, where I am finally going to be uploading some of my um, trip experiences now that I've been reassured that I'm not going to be condemned for being a lunatic for sharing sharing my experiences. Um, also, make sure and check out Michael Garfield's podcast after this, Future Fossils, because it is uh, in sync with this podcast. We recorded it right afterwards. So it's kind of a way of getting two parts out of one episode. 
Enjoy. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast return guest, one of the most downloaded Here We Are podcasts. This is you're the first person to do a third episode, Michael. Uh, Michael Garfield is joining me for the third time. Welcome. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast and today's special episode of Winging It. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is where your dear host, Shane Moss, is going through a bit of a funk and not really interested in researching anything and has been watching a little bit too much tv lately which is really unusual for me and and so now i just kind of show up to my my guests and i'm like hey you talk what, <laughs> what do you what do you like talking about um michael also has a podcast future fossils um, that you should check out. So he had a cord laying around. Anyway, here's what I wanted to ask you. Um, you have you do a zillion different things, uh, just trying to trying to make it in this weird creative existence where we always have to figure out. In comedy, I'm always having to like figure out what my next show is gonna be about or. Should I start a different podcast too, or should I like? Don't should I get into like writing a t- for TV, or like what the hell should I do? And you do a zillion uh, different things. Is it overwhelming? <laughs> I look at what you crank out. How do you how do you stay on top of? We'll we'll get into some of your fun ideas in a bit. But okay. I'm right now at this moment in my life, <laughs> I'm interested in asking a hyper productive and creative person, how the hell do you stay on top of all of it? I I think it is probably maladaptive, honestly. <laughs> how do you say uh, uh, well, what do you mean i mean i mean it's it's part of the i think so there's like two different neurotypes sort of we can make this a, sort of a sciencey yeah, conversation i know you can so 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 my my aunt my mother's sister is a highly professional very organized very successful in the world type who when you know my mother and i are very like spiritual sensitive people and so when I tell my my aunt about a dream that I had in which my dead grandmother appeared to me in a dream or something, she just like looks at me with this this dead face, just like so. So mm-hmm. you had a dream, and I'm like, but your mother visited me after, two weeks after her death to talk about the afterlife, and she like, eh? it, it doesn't matter to her. And I think that that's partially to do with her worldly success. Whereas uh, I read a, a paper a couple of years ago that said that artists tend to uh, profile as schizoidal or like schizotypal, that, that we have a harder time filtering out the peripheral stuff, filtering out the what, you know, what some other neurotypes would consider uh, irrelevant. Yeah. And that there's that I, I feel like society is That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. It's like society is like made out of basically two types of people. And, yeah. you know, it's like genuine. I mean, 
generally speaking, the people that are a little bit more peripherally attuned and like sensitive to the anomalous stuff. Cause you know, yeah. you talk about this in the sciences, you know, you've got your like Absolutely. conservative orthodox core of any, any field of research or yep. anything. And then you've got your sort of experimental fringe. And I think that I, I tend to fall, uh, on the more conservative side of the experimental fringe. So I'm just all over the place with music and art and writing and all this stuff, but I am trying to keep it together and trying to like get it to cohere into one thing and have it all be integrated and somehow all make sense together mm -hmm. and also not constantly take on new stuff. Like with the painting, I've stayed using paint pens because learning to use a brush or like learning to go full speed into the digital world, uh, you know, picking up all these additional media just sounds like, well, I'm already doing all this other stuff as a guitarist and I'm already doing all this other stuff as a writer. It just doesn't. So each one of these 50 million things is actually sort of like in, innately retro or like um, kind of anachronistic or conservative in its own right. But then when you look at it all together, uh, it looks completely bonkers. And I think it's it's partially to do with the fact that I can't decide uh, what, you know, they say that there's that thing, uh, Chase two rabbits catch neither. And, and mm -hmm. I, I usually wish that I were the kind of guy that was just like myopically and insanely, you know, uh, obsessively devoted to just one thing. But I had this guy, Emmett Chapman, who is a, an, he's an inventor and a, a jazz musician. And he invented this thing called the Chapman stick, which is like an electric guitar that you play tapping, like instead of plucking it, like it's a, like a keyboard. And I said, how do you play these complex piano style compositions on the guitar like i i have trouble thinking about like my left hand and my right hand doing two different things and he says it's just like the piano you don't think about it as two different things you think about it as one thing mm -hmm. and so there i think there's there's ever since then i had that conversation with him maybe 10 years ago and ever since then i've tried to see all of the things that i'm doing as a single activity like all of my life is a single gesture that I am breaking up into all these different categories conceptually, but it doesn't have to be that way. And maybe there's all sorts of, there's, there's like insight and, and like value to be gleaned out of not seeing them as separate activities, hmm. seeing them as all parts of a single activity, the way that you see steering and accelerating and gear shifting as part of the single activity of driving a car. It's like, well, I'm, I'm participating in a planet scale renaissance at the catastrophic boundary between two world ages. So that's like, it's going to show up in all these different ways because we don't really know, uh, you know, we're, we're shifting out of a sort of emphasis on tradition and conservatism or the conservation of, of our cosmic order, like the mythology in which we've embedded ourselves uh, unaware. And then into an age where everything is changing so fast that, the emphasis is less on history and more on like speculation and prediction. And so I feel like that that's, that requires, it's less about like learning to play the music on this piece of paper that has been handed to you and more about learning what the rules and the systems and the patterns are so that you can improvise with any piece of music that somebody throws at you, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's going to be a pretty tough transition <laughs> for humanity. I think it's going to be really, really difficult because I think right now, I would say that the more kind of dedicated tunnel vision type 
is is really quite the benefit. I mean, and <laughs> and and look at I mean, I, I look at the the drugs that that are legalized and everything else is like speed and you know the the productivity. That's the I mean, short they, answer to your question. How do you have, get it all so much? How do you get this all done? Well, uh, the, the speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask what drugs that you're on, but I figured if I just let you talk, <laughs> listeners would figure it out for themselves. Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like right now, I so I just started going to uh, to CrossFit again, um, just because I I just like can't I I just um, I hit a real bad depression, one of the worst I've had in like years and years, and I just cannot get going with anything, and so I just need something like I can't I can't like motivate myself to go i don't have the tunnel vision to be like i'm gonna go to a gym and push things (laughs) i need to like go somewhere and have someone yell at me uh until i move and i hate every second of it but one of the interesting things um that i've found about those uh kinds of like the uh the fitness buffs out there and and the uh like when i go into crossfit i'll look and i'll see like sometimes i'll talk with some of these Guys, they're not the brightest. Cer- certainly, I wouldn't say. I, sh- I should at least say, not the most creative <laughs> people in the world. And it's a lot of like, I mean, really nice people. Hey, you're moving great, bro, and like a lot of stuff <laughs> like that. And I know I'm not moving great. Yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> like, thanks. Hey, wonderful for that support. But the point is, is that even though. Uh, like I, I really think of myself. I'm like, well, I'm this very inquisitive, creative person. That's this very valuable trait. But I look at these people that don't have that trait at all. It seems like they're doing great. <laughs> like they're right. They're, they're really healthy. They're like driving a nice car there, and and not not all of them, but it just seems like they're like really together. Unless they're just better at hiding it or something. <laughs> like like I'm more like I will. It, I, if you ask me how I'm doing, I will tell you about all of my problems. <laughs> and I understand that most people just don't <laughs> operate that way. And most people aren't looking for the full answer. But I do wonder how much that's changing. I, I think that someone that is a little more um, are like more creative a little more tangential and a little more adaptive will do better in the future potentially but maybe i'm lying to myself just because <laughs> that's like fingers crossed that my traits eventually going to <laughs> well see but the thing is that you here's the difference is that you're questioning your own self-justifying world story yeah. you know like i was about to be like well you know of course i'm going to tell a story in which the future requires improvisers that's, <laughs> right, that's, right. i'm trying to sell myself to the future right, right. i think you need me evolution but <laughs> but the but and you know and and i'm you know i'm writing a book uh, where you I'm looking at the evolutionary process as I read it so far the story of life so far and then I'm casting that forward into the future and I'm explaining how things like improvisation are like core to the evolutionary process you know when you talk about like winging it well the wing itself is an improvisation mm-hmm. it's like features that existed already that got repurposed in a new environment and found a new utility and and conferred a new benefit it wasn't a plan right so so uh but then of course like 
somebody with a different psychology might look at the fossil record and read it in a completely different way that reaffirms their thing. The difference, I think another, or like another critical difference between uh, what, you know, you and I are saying is that we are actually sitting here. Part of the reason that we're so, so prone to uh, depressive bouts is because we tend to be more like introspective and self-critical. Like the, the, um, you know, part of the reason that I'm performing in San Antonio (laughs) this week and I'm watching a lot of just willful ignorance and I hate stereotyping, but how willful, Ah, but how willful is it? Because like, that's the thing is that, you know, there's a relation, the the relationship between confidence and like the ability that you're able to give your, your, your complete attention to something and then the fact that you don't have that self-critical script running in the background that's like all very closely related like they the uh uh jeffrey a martin who was a harvard i think he was a postdoc when he did this research on enlightenment and i may have actually talked about this the first time i was on your show he did a study where he asked spiritual communities all over to appoint their most awakened representative, like whoever in their community they thought was enlightened. And he, w- he went and brain scanned like a thousand of these people that had been elected by their own communities as awakened individuals and found that the, the, uh, the correlation, the pattern that was continuous, like that was present in all of them was that they had a, a, a diminished activity in the default mode network of the brain, which is like all of these parts of the brain that work in concert to create a sense of self bound in time and space. And the default mode network tends to be the parts of the brain that are hyperactive in depressive individuals. And these are the, these tend to be in, in my uh, personal experience, as well as in the literature that I've, I've read about it. These tend to be the, the chimps that hang out on the, the fringe, the periphery, like the anchorite monks that live in the wall of the monastery. And then they just get letters from the outside and food from the inside and they don't have to talk to anybody. Yeah. It's like the melancholic Saturnine people. And this is a type. And our, our modern culture has really strongly selected against this because we have this like modern idea that happy is better. And we're not looking at, we're favoring the individual view rather than looking at the way the individual fits into the larger society and a larger society needs philosophers and artists and these, you know, melancholic fucks to do their, to do their thing. But, you know, but then we try to medicate those people into a different state of consciousness so that they can be normal and then, you know, that's actually harming the overall society because it's making it's making the overall society less neurologically diverse, which means it's less robust and less resilient and less less flexible and less creative overall. I know. And then sometimes I look at that. Sometimes I'm like, should I just be normal? And then I look at what normal is. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> How is that normal? Like, that's completely fucking crazy. And it, And I like... That was I spent when I spent a fucking week in a psych ward. That's why I couldn't stop thinking, even though I went completely insane for real. Like I, I had really delusional ideas. At the same time, I was like, but I was brought up by like a whole bunch of people where it's just the norm to have these really delusional beliefs. Like go into church each week and wait for like some zombie in some other dimension to come back. 
and like that's <laughs> and zombies are born from the bottom up we're talking this is a top down right right re- yeah but anyway yeah it's a less gross zombie for sure um <laughs> but uh but then i'm like uh but then sometimes i'm just like fuck I, I wish i could just like football or something like i just i just wish that i could because i don't like i see like my relatives and good friends of mine that are like into this shit that i think is mindless not that everything that i'm doing is like some ground i have tons of my own dumb shit but sometimes i'm like oh that'd be nice why can't i just like give myself a break <laughs> and enjoy like some mindless shit once in a while it's it's related to that that research that the most devout individuals tend to be the least Mm self-aware you know and and they're also the the most content you know that there's this there's this this thing about like the ease with which you can just like wrap yourself in your faith about whatever it is you know it does it it's it's object independent it's the structure of consciousness here right so right. it's like ah i believe this thing and it gets me through the day and then you know like my father is is one of these very uh focused business minded you know yeah, central too. not peripheral types i think there probably is like an intergenerational back and forth if you look at it like you know people tend to vote opposite their parents you know in the elections and stuff so right. my dad is one of these people that like i asked him about his his spirituality one time when i was a teenager and got this like completely befuddling non-answer and i was like <laughs> you don't really ever think about this stuff at all like it literally just never crosses your mind which you know it doesn't seem to bother you. So, you know, I got to a point where I stopped challenging where he was with it and just accepted that there's this whole ecosystem of different, you know, everyone's paying attention to something different and that ultimately it benefits the whole. But I will say that like, uh, there is another futurist psychedelic media philosopher type guy out there who is, vastly more successful than i am like a hundred times more successful than i am Mm -hmm. and uh and i i tried to like engage him once in some some playful intellectual sparring a few years ago and he wouldn't have it he was like oh i don't you know i'm not hating and he he pushed me out of the conversation basically and and i just it was the weirdest thing because i was like how can you be talking about you know, like defeating death and like all of these insane transhumanist ideas and constantly, uh, you know, I citing psychedelic philosophers and stuff. And then it turned out that he'd never actually taken psychedelics and he was just super fascinated by it. Hmm. And then, and then I got to a point with it where it was really pissing me off. I was like, this guy's like a virgin sex therapist. You yeah, know, like this is, know. This is super it's irritating. Like, every time I go to a wedding that's like done by a Catholic priest and they're like <laughs> giving a lecture about like marriage is going to be hard. Relationships are hard. Like what the fuck do you, at best, you don't know anything about relationships. <laughs> Hopefully you don't know anything about relationships. <laughs> but, but like what I, what I, I saw an interview with this, this fellow who, you know, when he said something to the effect of, that he had never experienced that he couldn't just walk into woods and experience awe, Mm -hmm. you know, that he, that he, he didn't understand how people could, could derive like Terrence McKenna would say on the natch Mm -hmm. could derive like awe and wonder from the natural world. And he like required this, this like uh techno boner 
philosophy in order to marvel at what we're capable of creating because it it very clearly it gave him some sense of of it helped like alleviate his sense of powerlessness in the face of his ultimate mortality and like as soon as i realized that my whole like frustration with this dude changed completely and i realized that like it actually takes an enormous amount of work for for both types to maintain what they're up to like it takes an enormous amount of work for me to just deal with the flurry of of like random shit and like seeing how everything's connected you know and it's like dude it's like i said to you uh you know when i when you got out and i heard you on on duncan trussell's show and i was like oh so like i get a text message from you being like oh you're right you're right you were right the whole time uh, yeah, and then yeah. the next when message i, I get I was from you manic i texted mike i'll tell him how right his ideas were and I was like, oh, God, dude, I was like, I am like one day away from the psych ward, according to you. And I was like, OK, so that so that takes work. It takes work to stay functional, but it takes work. It takes work to stay functional on the other end of it, too, because I think the other the other people are are actually on whatever level, however, like conscious or unconscious they are of it. I think it actually takes an enormous amount of effort by the brain to just filter all that shit out and and declare it irrelevant and be like, it's not you know, that, 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 that life is just fucking intense for everybody. And some of us do a better job of repressing that than other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, if it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like do a drug, go crazy and see like a collective consciousness or another dimension or God or whatever. Uh, what happened was I did a drug, saw all that shit and then went crazy <laughs> but i saw that stuff before i went crazy quite clearly and uh and so yeah so anyhow so so the crazy was me frantically like texting a bunch of people mm. with like cryptic kind of weird text messages afterwards. well I, I was into it i really yeah. wanted to i wanted to hear about your your revelations because i do think that you know like one of one of my favorite authors this this uh, information scientist richard doyle at penn state university somebody I, I think would be an awesome person to have on your show he says that paranoia is a response to living online and the experience of a modern person being that we live in this hyper-connected media environment where everything really is connected and it's obviously all connected and and yet we're still in this weird like capitalist consumer thing where we're clearly also like the target of predatory attention and you know we're so we have this weird dissonance between what, what, what do you mean by by that like all of the oh, social the, media is yeah the, TV the ads that follow you around online right. and that kind of stuff and and you know our growing media literacy that makes it clear like the way that media is used to manipulate public opinion and so we see that everything's connected but we also are still stuck in this this sort of like half digested transpersonal revelation because like we know that the self on like intellectually i think it's pretty obvious that the self is the like this uh interference pattern between all of these environmental vectors all these different causes you know that this is the silicon valley idea of you know the self as just a collection of algorithms that are operating together you know like you know we the more we learn about the brain the more we see how this this sense of i is assembled from all of these these more specific subroutines but uh we still we have that i reinforced by what uh by by a 
a system of, of marketing and information patterning that reifies the self, that reifies the story of choice. It says, you know, you're going to get a pumpkin spice latte instead of a, you know, caramel <laughs> pecan latte or whatever, because that's what you want. Right. And so we're, we're in this weird spot where we're just on the cusp of like, a, as a, I think as a whole species of people, we're like within the next couple of decades, we stand a really solid chance of moving together into a completely new self-construction, like into understanding that we are uh, complex systems and like, the, you know, like uh, David Eagleman, his, his neuroscience show and like the, the, the book that my brain made me do it, you know, where like the legal system is going to change around this stuff to reflect the fact that we know that, you know, that, that punishing people for crimes based on a 300 year old philosophy of mind is no longer really even the most effective strategy. But right. like, but we're, we're right at that point where it's, I mean, I, I think, and something I, I would love to, to ask you about and see where you think on this stuff. And maybe we can get into that more um, on the flip side of this, this chat on my show. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah. but I feel like there's a really strong correlation between the kind of uh, shift that people go through coming up on a psychedelic where everything you can you know, everything starts to pattern in new ways and the the self becomes sort of like the line between the inner world and the outer world starts to shift or fold over on itself and what we're seeing now uh, collectively as a species and like it's like the internet is a psychedelic that everyone's taken at once mm -hmm. and it's taking like 20 years for it to kick in and we're all going through this like weird anxious sort of paranoid like come up phase where it's like okay just take some deep breaths take your shoes off put your feet on the ground you know like have a glass of water it but but we we run the risk of it being like a bad trip because you get stuck like forcibly ejected out of the simple self other construct that you thought you had and into this like fractal mayhem of reality as it actually is yeah i mean I I like your uh sometimes I'm optimistic about the future. Um <laughs> that's why I like talking with you. Uh I think I used to be really optimistic about the future and and where technology is going and I think I I used to be much less paranoid about the predatory internet marketing and all that. So and now I just uh, there's more and more um like I had to take medication um and and then like the side effect which i went off of um and then like you start getting suicidal thoughts like right away and that's like one of the main uh side effects it's like that's so <laughs> fucking crazy like you couldn't uh, think of a better product to tell someone like is there could we just like point a gun to someone's head and make them buy our product well we can't do that but we can give them a product where if they stop taking it multiple times a day, they'll put a gun to their own head. And that is fucking scary. And, and I think that, uh, I think that there's just, I don't think it takes that clever of a Machiavellian 
5D conspiracy for any of this shit to happen. It's just a run-of-the-mill money grab, you know? It's just... It's totally. <laughs> and, I mean, and since we're going there, I think, that, you know, there's... The nature of conspiracy is, like, completely misunderstood, I think, by most people. Like, an, an NDA is a the legal framing for a conspiracy. Like, you know, your participation pretty much in any kind of business contract is going to include you know, some line about, you know, you, you are entering into a pact of secrecy with us about this kind of thing. And that's how the whole world is structured. And, you know, we, we blow it completely out of proportion. I think it's like, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't serve us to talk about conspiracy like that. I don't think just as it doesn't serve us to talk about drugs, you know, because right. like not all secrets are created equal. Right. You know? Right. But at any rate, um, so here's something that, uh, I've been, I'm sure like this is like something that on your podcast you've talked to, uh, talked to about, uh, talked about to death. And, uh, but on my podcast, I've never, you're probably the best guest that I've had on to, um, to share some ideas about some of the, what the hell are we going to do for work in the future? As we're talking about this, you go from, Someone with tunnel vision who that comes in really handy when you're driving trucks or working in factories to occupations that won't exist for much longer, really. Um, Self-driving cars. Now you won't even be able to do Uber on the side or, or anything. You won't. And... And this is like wonderful news, too, really, from... I mean, this is... It seems like advanced... I mean, to... Uh, but I, I don't. The idea of like creating jobs is and and jobs and everyone needing uh, forty hours a week and working your hardest all the time is it, to me it seems um, a little bit like well why the fuck are we building these robots? It's, it's like I live in uh, I live in well Washington but I live across the river from Oregon. In Oregon, you can't pump your own gas. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, that's simply just to create jobs, just to have someone pump your gas. So now when I go, like, if I were to go out and pump my own gas, it would get done faster. I wouldn't have to, like, deal with a thing and, like, tip. <laughs> now I'm, like, having to tip someone to do a job worse than, like, I'm able to do the job. And, uh, and it'd be like if in the future we just, like, outlaw remote controls so that you have to like hire your neighbor to like come over and flip the tv channel for you because that creates a job and jobs are good and and so now you're like having to and now you're tipping this guy for doing that no no not that channel it's something that you do much easier on your own with the assistance of technology (laughs) we're just like having creating these worthless positions for people where the fuck is this going this is something that you that i know you write a lot about Asking me about jobs, though, is probably like listening to that <laughs> Catholic priest deliver the wedding sermon. Yeah, right. Because I, I don't think that See, my own... <laughs> but there again, you're self-aware of it, at least. On the other hand, you know, you can make the case that when it comes to the transformations of the digital economy, that you see these things happening in the arts, like specifically in the music industry first. And that, you know, the way that we saw 
software eat the world quote unquote started with the music industry like started with the movement the migration from cd sales to online music downloads Mm -hmm. and so in a sense i do i do see myself as sort of more um about the future in terms of my lifestyle than i am you know like that i i really am consciously deliberately trying to live as an example of what you do with your life when you're not so concerned about where the money is going to come from and you're just liberated to live by contributing to the commons in the way that you feel through a process of continued inquiry and revision and discovery is the right thing for you to be doing in that moment. And I think that's a big part of why I do so many different things is because sometimes it really feels like one of them is the correct response. And sometimes it feels like something else is the correct response. And so, you know, this seems like, I think, you know, a big, a big part of this that, it, that we discuss in the in future fossils podcast a lot and is going into the book uh, rather extensively. And, uh, you know, I talk about on Facebook with people seemingly all the time uh, is that the, the future in many ways more closely resembles the distant past, like pre-modernity than it does the world that we were born into. Because, you know, a lot of what I see is humans and technology sort of meeting in the middle in terms of our adaptation to one another. And, you know, like uh, Nicholas Carr wrote a book called The Glass Cage, Automation and Us. And he talks about how the first wave of automation was basically just intended to take away responsibility from the operator. You know, you look at the first uh, autopilot in a commercial jetliner and most of the major air traffic accidents that have happened in the last few decades are because the pilots made stupid rookie errors that they would not have made had they not been basically infantilized by the the design of these operating systems right and so he's like there's an there's yeah, an people alternative. don't have to really pilot anymore right because- right but but he's like there's an alternative which is that like if you look at a, a different paradigm for software design you can look at video games which don't tell you how to do it and require you to continually train and improve your skills in conjunction with the game and this is known in in um the like AI circle, they have this, uh, like AI circles, they have this, uh, term called the centaur for like, uh, chess masters that, that get together in teams with artificial intelligences. So it's humans and AI working together and competing as a unit. So that's the, that's the centaur and centaurs outperform humans or AIs on their own. And mm-hmm. so they're, you know, we're, we're moving into, I think a period where, uh, we're be- we're learning to live with technology, but the technology is adapting to actually suit the human being in a way where it was it before it was more or less just forced on us, and we had we had to do all the learning. And now the computers are fast enough, smart enough that they can learn some too. And so, what I think what we'll see is a world that, in many ways, resembles kind of more like the magical, inspirited environment of like an Amazonian indigenous tribe where you're surrounded by magic and weird discarnate entities living in, you know, like living in the trees and rocks and stuff. Like you go to your house and you talk to Alexa or Google home and it, you know, it talks back to you and yeah. it it sends you things like magical boons arrive at your doorstep, you know, and, and that is so like, it's so easy for us. It's very low hanging fruit 
to plug all of these new technologies into these very old ways of it relating to the world because those are like baked into us by now. There's like hundreds of thousands of years of humankind's interacting magically with our environment. And it, like, as Arthur C. Clarke says, you know, the every sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. All right. So that's, that's like, we're moving into a world where I think people are actually going to have an easier time navigating it in some respects because we know the rules. We like, we, we all know from, from like fantasy and folklore, how this stuff works. You know, a magical object is magical precisely because it has agency over you. The ring, you put the ring on and the ring controls you. And I think that same issue is coming up with like internet connected pacemakers and the possibility that, you know, your prosthetics can be hacked, for example. So at any rate, to like get back to the issue of, of jobs, you look back at the Paleolithic world, you look back at, at you know, the lifestyle that these, these pre-modern, you know, hunting, gathering, foraging tribes were involved in. And you're looking at, you know, this is like famously discussed in paleo circles that you're looking at like a 20 hour work week. Mm-hmm. You're looking at, you know, most of the time that we spent was not devoted to gathering resources. It was devoted to human cultural activity. And uh, Yuval Noah Harari's latest book, which I haven't read. I haven't read it either. But, but yeah, I know yeah. that he brings up some of these questions and Bill right. Gates loved the book enough. Uh, we're talking about Homo Deus. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bill Gates loved the book enough that he wrote a paper on it because, of course, these insane world's richest billionaires are sitting here thinking, what are we going to do when our technology makes everyone useless? Mm-hmm. And And Bill Gates was like, well, I think I agree with Harari that the answer is in uh, ritual performance that it's not it's not so much like what kind of jobs are going to replace the jobs that we lose so much as it is that what are we going to do with all of our free time like how are we going to adjust to what is actually the more normal like historically speaking the dominant mode of human existence it's it's actually like we're sort of like having to uh like re or de brainwash ourselves out of the like a Stockholm syndrome relationship that we have to living in an industrial economy where we feel like we have to do all this work because we did for like hundreds of years we did. And I think we're, we're like, you know, that's like, who knows? That's like in us epigenetically, you know, it's like the trauma lives on and it's yeah. going to take us a while to be like, Oh, wait a minute. We wanted this. And now we have all this time to devote to practicing our religion or, you know, putting on, uh, plays, you know, start your rock band. Like all the universal basic income arguments that I see are like, why not get every single human being more time to invest in cultural activity? It makes all of us wealthier. And I think that really that's the shifting point will be from when we start to see the and start to see compulsory labor as a crime against human dignity. And that we start to see compulsory labor basically as a massive waste of human social, intellectual, and creative capital. And we realize that all of these people, you know, as soon as we start seeing people that could be uh, living their lives in a much more like potentiated, self-actualized way, really engaging at the highest creative levels like they would be if they were millionaires and had, you know, the the affluence, the time mm-hmm. to do this stuff we'll start to see all of the time that they spend in, you know, one form or another of basically like contemporary indentured servitude to an employer as a crime against humanity, like as a humanitarian crisis. 
and and it's going to be precipitated by a growing wealth disparity between the people that are that that own the server farms and own the big you know the big software companies and are disproportionately benefiting from all of the additional wealth that this transition has generated and and we're already seeing the response to that which is largely um coming out of the 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 like cryptocurrency quarter which is we need to be designing social networks that pay the users to be generating content and running you know donating processing power to generating the network so it's a decentralization of facebook seems to be like one part of the answer rather than just a top down we're going to you know we're going to like let it rain on you guys for a little bit and like we're going to we're going to give you a little an allowance some spending money because that's very clearly a a you know that's just carrying and perpetuating this sort of you know big daddy government religion business in the sky you know give me my you know let me suckle from your teat kind of philosophy and the empowering philosophy the the philosophy that we need in order to to um to liberate all this collective intelligence in in uh you know a complex global economy is one in which everyone is able to generate their own value everyone's able to generate their own wealth and they're not just being you know donated value by their overlords you know so i see i see uh and jaron laniera was actually the, the guy who invented virtual reality was one of the first people i heard talk about this saying that we missed a huge opportunity 15 years ago to institute a system of micropayments into social media for like web 2.0 and like hopefully now that we you know we've got systems like iota which is a, a not familiar it's a non-blockchain based uh, crypto currency that um, is it runs on a what they call a distributed acyclic graph called the tangle. This is all this is all nonsense. Oh, uh, they, everyone <laughs> knows what you're talking. About. Yeah, no, no, no. That's but the point fine. is the point is that this is a way for internet connected devices to send micro payments to each other without any fees. So, like uh, for anyone familiar with the blockchain, the idea is that the ledger of transactions is is uh, you know carried by every participating node in the network, and then you have a um you know you have miners people that are are processing the the transactions that are actually like handling the algorithm that that chews through the the cryptographic cryptographic problem in order to you know it's like it, it it's valuable precisely because it's hard which makes it hard to forge right but then what that does is it keeps the powers in that network centralized with the people that are actually running these massive server farms mining bitcoin or whatever and in in the next stage of the digital economy, what we're going to see is uh, we're going to find a way to decentralize the mining, decentralize the cryptographic problem solving part of it so that your phone, when it's processing a transaction or your refrigerator or whatever in this like Internet of Things, um, that all of them are going to be carrying a tiny, tiny piece of that computational load, which is going to mean that everyone on any even relatively dumb device can participate you don't need this massive cost of entry of like you need to buy like a warehouse full of servers in order to to mine iota and so that you know or like whatever you know some comparable um post blockchain kind of setup so what will happen then is that you know you'll we've finally got a system where the cost of transactions is low enough that we can like someone's post and give them a fraction of a cent for that. And the, you know, this, we can actually do that because it, we're not running on credit card companies that cost, you know, 2.5% of the transaction or we're not, you know, the, 
the the Bitcoin transaction is now so insane. It's it's like even more centralized than than the you know the fiat system was in in some respects. So at any rate, that's like a big part of it too. Is like we need to be able to like break money down into small enough units that we can start assigning value to like all of these previously invisible forms of cultural contribution and just circulate these essentially meaningless like right yeah. now yeah, I, you, yeah, you yeah. post something on facebook it's 100 likes yeah. you know like okay great i just made facebook whatever however much money that you know you know right, they right. were able to sell on ads and then the next generation like uh, of of social media what we'll see is more like, oh, I made a hundred likes. Awesome. That's this much. And there are some, there are some early, uh, cryptocurrency based social networks like steam it that are trying to do this thing. But that's, I don't know that, that, that still looks really like, uh, you know, super early beta prototypical com- compared to what it could be where basically everything you do is valued in some way and it can be rewarded in some way. And so we're all encouraged to support other people in, in whatever community in which we find ourselves and we're able to we're able to, uh, it, it lowers the cost of entry to like philanthropy and investment, basically. And once everyone can play the game of investment and invest in each other, then we move out of a system that rewards people for hoarding the money. And we move into a system that rewards people for spending it on each other and keeping it in circulation. And then once that happens, we'll realize that we were actually sitting on the vast majority of our, of our wealth as a collective and that it, it wasn't really do the reason that we're suffering uh, as much as we are, the reason poverty is so rampant is I think basically boils down to, it's just impossible to send a fraction of a cent. Right. You know, and it's like, and, and we're rewarded for holding on to money and letting it acute accrue interest rather than investing in, in each other, you know? Right. So, so, so we, uh, we used to be these hunter gatherers spending three hours a day out hunting a saber tooth tiger, which is all we did every day is uh, hunt saber tooth tiger, by the way, I've, I've read, this, I've read about <laughs> that's this a stuff. fact. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I read it on Breitbart news <laughs> and, and to, to in the future, uh, say 20 years from now where you're going to spend three hours a day hunting for a kitten meme to (laughs) to share (laughs) well okay so so kevin kelly wrote in his book the inevitable which uh is about technological trends and where he sees them headed in the next 30 years and he said that um crowdsourced advertisements he imagined being like a user generated ads i've already you know you already see some of this stuff going on where they'll hold a contest and you know somebody you know make your own super bowl ad film it at home and 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 we'll give the winner a hundred thousand bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and what he sees is a democratization of that so that the way that our, both our like intellectual property in terms of like copyright, but also patent that licensing and micropayments for licensing becomes so much easier and that you could sort of like basically exactly what you just said, like that you can, you could sort of create ads for the brands that you like without any formal prior agreement. And if those ads do really well, then that the system is already in place for you to get paid for that, you know, so yeah, that yeah. like you can kind of, you can, you basically don't have to like approach a company for sponsorship. It's just yeah, sort of like, you're already taking pictures of your food. Just right. be like, Hey, I'm at this restaurant. And then, yeah, like, ima- exactly. Like imagine, imagine if you got 
paid for product placement every time you posted a photo to face or you know to next book or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you know features that thing and then yeah people, the movie that you watch or whatever right. like we're looking at we're looking at the very beginning of this with uh instagram influencers like that that whole thing. i i have avoided instagram so i'm yeah. actually not familiar at okay, all okay so i i have just enough instagram followers now that i get emails from people like Ooh. cracker barrel and they like Cracker Barrel's like, we would like to send you. It's actually a, a broker. There's like a third party social agency that says Cracker Barrel would like to send you a random box of stuff if you'll post yourself hanging out with the stuff on Instagram. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I did one of those just to see what, you know, really? what, what would show up. And it was, it was quaint. Yeah. It was, uh, I, you know, it seemed, it seemed like a weird, you know, like Uncanny Valley, which is where you're, you go from it being obviously a robot to, ob- you know, like you don't know it's a robot. It looks like a person is like mm-hmm. that weird zombie middle zone that creeps everybody out. There was like an Uncanny Valley moment with the Cracker Barrel box of stuff that I got because it seemed like it might have been tailored to the hashtags I was using, but it was like filtered through the Cracker Barrel gift store. You know? yeah, yeah. So it was like this, this like robotic bird in a bird cage that sang christmas songs was like one of the things and i was like so they know i'm into robots and birds and music and i was like but this is just like a thing that i would never own like i would never go out and buy a christmas singing cardinal plastic thing but it was this weird my whole house is just cracker barrel by the way (laughs) but it was like it's like it's like getting presents from the aunt that only sees you once a year and she like thinks that she knows what you like yeah, 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 and it's just going to get better and better at that. So, like, you know, I can I can see a, a a realistic world in which, like, you know, you're you get tapped like like people get tapped by the MacArthur Prize or by like the CIA, and they're like, oh, we've been watching you, and we'd we'd like to send you some stuff, you know, and like you'll just know in that world that if you post with the stuff, that you'll get you'll get a little a little something out of it. I don't know. It's that's a it's it's a kind of a creepy world, but it's a world in which you know, we're basically doing all the things that we're doing now and getting paid for it compared to just, you know, like I, I think back on the 10 years that I've, or 13 years now that I've been on Facebook and how much time I've put into that and how that, you know, like compare uh, that to the rest of my life. don't make me think about that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, in another 50 years, people are going to be looking back on that the way that we look back on slavery. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, I think that's, <laughs> that, that I think was, that's pretty obvious. I think I'm going to get some, <laughs> I, <laughs> There's potential for me to get some angry email after that. That might be a little bit of an unfair comparison. I don't know. I mean, I mean, you no, tell I me. Don't. It's it's unpaid labor. You tell me. We're we're, well, we're clearly we're clearly making a few people very rich by participating in a game. No, here. I know. It's. I mean, well, this is the other. You can thing send that angry emails about. to no, Michael Garfield I'm, I'm at just Gmail. Joking, I'm joking. That's that's fine. It's <laughs> it's just it's just you do have to be careful with slavery comparisons. I re- I was making one recently. Um, I was I I talked about this once on the podcast already. There's these slaver ants. Um, are you familiar? Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like the the queen of these slaver ants will go steal the eggs from another species, uh, steal the eggs of worker ants from another species, bring them back to her nest, and then those worker ants of another species go out and get resources for her nest, and then it's called slaver ants because then it's. But, but when I when I thought about that, I was like, wait, why are they? Why is that considered 
slavery because they're it's kidnapping i guess but it's not they're doing the exact same it's not like you took the ants that were just like hanging out chilling and then like enslaved them and like made them go out and work they did the exact same they lived the exact same life that they were going to live (laughs) the exact same from a worker ants point of view it's individual life well i don't know i mean are they getting the fed as much as the same. as the 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 local ants or are they getting oh, beaten are they getting the red-headed stepchild treatment uh, you know because yeah. because i hear this and it, it almost brings us all the way back around to the way that we started this which is a good sign right because i think about this and i think People about love callbacks in in the matrix you know and it's like why is everyone so in such a hurry to get out of the matrix because it's right. like the real world sucks like that was that part was clear it's you know it's like and then, and then also the the whole notion that you can escape from that system because it's like we no you're a genetically modified organism like you neo you grew up in a pod like you were programmed to be the one you know it's yeah. like there's there is i don't know there is a sense in which uh you can you might say that we're not we're not slaves but i think that basically the same the the rhetoric no i i do think i think that we are <laughs> My kids are in gonna... ways slaves to our genes and environment and definitely there are uh, uh, there are people in, in worse circumstances and, and that have suffered worse forms of it uh. and have have been enslaved by people that are slaves of their own <laughs> own genes and environment but um well i mean you can you can you and i i think can agree that we're you know if we're enslaved it's through a what do you call that it's through a weaponization of our own uh, like reward systems in right. the brain and you know like tristan harris uh formerly of google has has done a couple of ted talks on this about how these these systems uh you know w- we've learned what keeps people engaged in a social medium mm-hmm. and we have tuned it to make it as sticky as possible right. and i think that in, in that sense you know if you can say you're a slave to you know dope Right, then, right, right. then what you can say is, well, you know, Facebook is the pusher. So it's like you're a slave to your own habit, really. Right. You know, right. Yeah, ultimately. No, well, that's, that is the problem in our modern society that we talk about all the time on this podcast, where obviously people had this taste for once in a while they'd see a berry and and so they had this instinct <laughs> to be like oh this sweet taste is the best thing in the world and now we live in a world where we can have as much sugar as we want now we have too much of the thing that used to be rare that was good for us and now we have this abundance of we have too much food and and we sit around too much like the idea of our uh hunter gather a gatherer seeing us in a treadmill on a treadmill or in crossfit it used to be we used to need our muscles to work for us we would use our muscles to build things and now we work for our muscles so they don't atrophy and everything else and yeah that that whole like you were saying earlier like that whole i'm gonna i'm gonna decouple exercise from <laughs> employment you know and so instead of chasing an elk or whatever for three days running it down until it's dead i'm gonna sit here at my desk all day and then i'm gonna go to crossfit 
and right. like and then so the the system of reward is all messed up because it's like there's you don't have any motivation to go to crossfit you just have to have like the the raw discipline and determination whereas before it's like well i gotta keep running because there's food at the end of this treadmill yeah it's, it, it's a bizarre it would be like if we hopped in a time machine and went into the future and everyone was like overdosing on orgasms or something like that so, i just wrote about that <laughs> what i did i just really? i just for on patreon i just published a chapter from the book called the future is disgusting <laughs> and it was i talk about that because it's like you know we look at the we look at these like uh the desire I think that everybody experiences is, you know, like this, this desire for intimacy, right. That was weaponized by AT&T as reach out and touch someone. Yeah. You know, like we all want to stay in, in communication with our families. I mean, you know, by and large, unless, you know, there's an issue. Um, I mean, the people that we care about, you know, we all want intimacy. We all want to, to like address and, and heal from or escape from the, the alienation, the loneliness, the disenfranchisement of being a separate ego, you know, of being like constantly reinforced that we are separate from everything around us and everything that we care about. Um, but that like the way that this manifests other than just like this, this constant, uh, throt, like, uh, this surge of bandwidth, you know, like we need more, like 4k is not enough. I need a 14k VR camera. That's like, you know, I need, and it, yeah. wh- where does this go? This leads us into a world where like, I don't, I, you know, in my, like my kinkier moments, I think about, well, I, it's not enough to experience lovemaking from just one point of view. I want to know what it's like for both of us, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you, and then pretty soon it's like, well, okay, that means we both have to like have a chip and then we both have to, you know, and then my wife's going to be like sending me like, instead of like dirty text messages, you know, it'll be like sent, like she'll just be like pressing the button that triggers your pleasure centers or whatever. And it's you'll be at work all day. Pretty and close to that. I it think really there is, is already well, some the, sort of device. There's like the panty yeah, for the yeah, cell yeah. phones with the pocket for the cell phone. So you can call it, you text your girlfriend yeah. with like a vibrator. So, so like, yeah, we're all, we're at that point where it's like, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've already, we've already, uh, like done the, the, um, social reinforcement thing through social media that's been candied and then the candy thing is you know our sugar thing that's been candied right. and then you know porn arguably is you know that sexual stimulation thing but it's it's like easy to see that we're gonna like find a way to just constantly stimulate all of our bad habits with the noblest of intentions which is just that we want to we want to communicate better but the weird thing is is that so so i at least in my way of, and I used to, I used to think about futurist stuff all the time, and I've gotten away from it. You're inspiring me to kind of get back into it and start, um, start reading more drone stuff jokes. Again. Um, but uh, I, well, it's where the future is going. The future is going to drone jokes. Um, but <laughs> in in the same way that we have, when you talk about we have these many desires and, and and not just sex, but we have these social desires and you have uh, this, uh, what, what, what's the name of the, the thing? I, I don't have one. The, the female. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we like give names to these things. We program in errors to humanize them and make them sound adorable. And we've programmed animals in this, in this same way. Like I had this a little dog mr don nichols that was, has been programmed <laughs> through evolution to be the cutest fucking thing i've ever seen in my life you would think that we would kind of program um we would program uh artificial int- intelligence 
to meet those needs early on, which would mean kind of programming in some similar interests and wiring it sort of similar to us so it can identify with us so we can go like alexis i'm having a bad day and then alexis can go i sometimes wish i was never born and then you'll <laughs> and then you'll both like get along on that yeah. <laughs> there'll be there'll be a tiny hole you can pour a drink into and <laughs> yeah. like, here here buddy it'll be fine but but won't it eventually go and i'm not i'm not the type of person that's typically scared of ai stuff actually because i think that i think that we'll just be like pets for ai is kind of my vision of it eventually but but after so first we program them to kind of be like us or kind of like be our pets or our little helpers and we and they feel good when they help us because that's how they're programmed but they're going to move fast that so fast and then move into they're going to be programmed based on what is in their or the world's best interest and then there's going to be some shift the singularity or whatever some some shift that's it's going to change things very quickly because it's going to be uh it's going to be it's it's like um it's like the imagination can adapt much faster than our genes can and and we can imagine all of this insane stuff that that um that our genes are not capable of and in the future that there won't be as many as many things to stop um the realm of infinite possibilities from occurring yeah except you know the fact that there are there aren't infinite resources like you know so i I see that as getting back you know that's that's another chapter of the book that i that i have set and waiting to write which is about how uh, you've got like a rice university professor jeff kripal talks about superheroes and the resurgence of superhero mythology in the 21st century and it's a lot to do with us working through collectively this issue of our newly discovered superpowers technologically speaking and our sense of responsibility to those powers you know um that there so many of these films deal with the origin story of mm-hmm. the you know and 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 that whole thing of suddenly coming into these these vastly superhuman abilities and having to like reconcile them or negotiate with that in, in an urban environment like everybody was so pissed off that man of steel showed superman carrying the fight with general zod into metropolis and like ruining all these buildings and it became this this uh subject of ethical dispute among superman fans that were like he would never do that and it's that's that conversation is really us you know and the the follow-up film um you know batman versus superman is like dealing with the the consequence of the aftermath of that decision and like really what we're the reason everyone's so upset is because that film is actually showing us back to ourselves in a way that makes us uncomfortable that we can you know we've humanized this character which is necessary because like i said you know technology is becoming more human we're becoming more technological superheroes are seeming more relatable to us as we become more and more empowered by these like frightening technology technological advances that we're really not prepared for at all and so like you know i look at the you know in 50 years is it going to look like the tick you know where the city just has too many superheroes and like everyone's (laughs) agendas are getting in the way of everyone else i mean that's kind of what it looks like in the global politics 
scene now is just it's just a clash of the titans and i can i can see a democratized clash of the titans kind of situation being like the thing that we should all be talking about now before it gets any worse well i would <laughs> i i mean this isn't even like the best point to stop i wish i i wish we could talk for another 30 minutes but i well, have a show to get to really quickly yeah. and we need to record another uh episode well on why, don't future we just, fossils. why don't we just Let, let's uh, end as as you tie a little bow on this, yeah. that's one thousand percent your responsibility. I'm done. I'm I'm <laughs> uh, I'm punching out. <laughs> I, um, but uh, also uh, within that, um, plug all the all the things that you need to plug with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Patreon.com/slash Michael Garfield has links to my music, my artwork, Future Fossils podcast, uh, excerpts from the book uh, that I'm writing called How to Live in the Future. You sign up for that and there's a ton of stuff that's like behind the the paywall. I put out exclusive uh, stuff for people all the time, music and writing and uh, special episodes of the show and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, just just did new music for a theatrical production in Austin, uh, P3M5, which was a, uh, a transatlantic theatrical collaboration with the Goethe, the, the Goethe Institute on the plurality of privacy in the digital age. So I, I did um, some some vaguely uh, anxious, spooky kind of film score type stuff for, for that uh, when it was just recently staged in Austin. And again, like I said, the future is disgusting, is, is up there. And uh, if people are into robot stuff, we have a, a really cool episode of Future Fossils coming up very soon where I interview John Danaher, who is the co-editor of a book on robot sex, robot you know like what what humanoid robots are going to do to the world of sex love and, and romance and stuff like that so um yeah that's that's a great a great spot um awesome so, you know i'm on twitter and instagram and all that stuff so fantastic are we still doing the uh the, the, the non-profits yeah yeah i i mean i've kind of gotten away from it a little bit um because like it made just start it, it was like made people feel guilty like oh, i would go yeah. in and be like do you want plugging on profit they're like oh i'm not a charitable person and i'd be like oh okay like i was just putting too much pressure on people and then mm -hmm. i wasn't seeing like a payoff on the other end of things mm. but um that's only because i have no way of measuring it uh, yeah. and uh, so so anyway you yes. don't know how much good you're doing so i have no yeah. idea how much could i do so is it worth doing good at all if yeah. i don't know the difference that <laughs> if I'm i making? never find out no what i what i was doing instead um was uh was just telling people to give people an extra credit assignment like here's a book that i like or this oh, new yeah. hobby that i'm into or something like that but you can do both if you yeah like. well the, the extra credit assignment will just make you more likely to send a contribution to the long now foundation Ooh. because the the assignment is read Stuart brand's book the clock of the long now which is the main inspiration for my podcast it's it's a book about thinking in very long time scales and that was thinking in very long time scales and and uh and and that book is super impressive because it, it really helped lift me out of the urgent twitter timeline type reality and mm. into this wide open expanse this like vista of like thinking about what kind of cultural projects we could take on that would be relevant and meaningful and beneficial to people thousands of years from now and i think that like that kind of 
long-term thinking and long-term collaboration is what is going to restore uh, a real, uh, you know, a, a sense of value and purpose and dignity to, to human life in a big way. I think that's kind of where we need to be if, you know, rather than being like the only way to get everyone to work together is by staging a fake alien invasion or whatever, (laughs) you know, that, that whole thing, you know, it's like, we, we, we don't need an enemy to unite against. We just need a project. So, you know, the the long now foundation has a, a really great lecture series. That's free online and stuff too. Although not nearly as fun as staging a fake alien invasion. <laughs> At least if, I mean, I do, scary if you're the person that it's being staged for, but if you're the person that gets to stage the alien invasion, that's a hell of a job. That's a lot of fun. Um, maybe that's one of the future jobs in the, is, oh, yeah. is staging, like, rather than, rather than, um, haunted houses <laughs> we, well, the, it's the we democratization <laughs> of the uh the the black box shadow government <laughs> you know yeah it's like everybody's a spy it's very easy to believe you know you look at i mean this is a total tangent but like pokemon go or something which was a, a game developed by niantic labs which was purchased by a shell company for the cia and it's like that's that's you know that's a, that's a psyop you know and everybody got to per- participate you know I, and i helped you know so anyway uh why don't we why don't we trade yeah. chairs it feels like a good time yeah yeah sounds great thank you guys uh for listening check out michael garfield you guys are terrific Next week on the Here We Are podcast, I'll be talking with Catherine McLean, who was a psilocybin researcher at Johns Hopkins, also joined me at the uh, Psychedelic Specialist Retreat in Jamaica, and we talk about that. This is before we even knew we were doing a retreat in a special Here We Are podcast retreat in Jamaica, May 5th to 13th. So I uh, hope you guys check that out and, and consider joining me in jamaica it's going to be a unique experience if uh if this one goes well maybe we'll do more in the future and it's a really cool thing because we can actually alter it and change it ourselves to make it um the way that we want say say you want to have a day trip and not all night trips we take a boat and then we do one on the beach during the day and uh and there's plenty of practitioners around and and people making sure that no one goes swimming out into the ocean well, they're tripping and that, just simple stuff like that to make you feel safe and secure. It's trip school. Come join me for trip school in Jamaica, my, May 5th through 13th. Special thanks to Jimmy Fro of the Jimmy Fro podcast, indie music podcast, for, uh, for doing such a wonderful editing job. And for Ramin Nazer for always keeping the, ups, uh, the website updated and looking crisp and sharp and uh, doing all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff for the show. And make sure and check out his stuff, com. I will talk with you guys next week. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites.
Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Yin Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, <laughs> oh my God. he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. <laughs> Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao Bella, it's me, Scarface. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 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 <laughs>